waking us up there. All right, if you will turn to Acts chapter 2, to a familiar passage of Scripture at the end of that chapter from verse 41 to 47. I want to talk to you on this first Sunday night of the year about the state of the church. As I've said before, the president gets to give the State of the Union address, and I'm not the president, but I am the speaker of the assembly, uh, so I'm the speaker of the house. I get to, uh, I get to uh, give this. Let's read it together, or let me read it to you, and uh, you will remember these verses. Verse 41 of chapter 2. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily, such as should be saved. Well, I want to talk to you about this passage and about our church as well. Uh, as I said, uh, a pastor is a speaker of the church, speaker of the assemblies. You know, we have a, we have a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. That's exactly what that word means. Uh, the ecclesia is the assembly, and the ecclesiastes, as it would be in Greek, in the Greek translation, is the speaker of the assembly. As a matter of fact, the book begins with the words, the words of the preacher, and in Hebrew, that is, the words of the speaker of the kahal, the speaker of the assembly. And so I get to be the speaker of the assembly. That's what the preacher is, the ecclesiastes. Well, before we look at these verses, let me, let me say, what is, the, what is the state of Faith Baptist Church in Smithville, Missouri? We're eight years, we will be eight years old this year. That's one thing about us. Uh, eight years old, maybe some people didn't think we'd make it that far. But we have. We celebrated our seventh anniversary this last year. We'll celebrate if the Lord tarries, and if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that, as James said. We'll celebrate our eighth anniversary. The size of our church has varied. We've been larger. We've been smaller. Well, uh, sometimes you lose members uh, in to death as we give them to the Lord, and they go to a, a better ecclesia in heaven than, than here. And sometimes by departure, people leave or move away for whatever reason. And so the size of our church has varied. But Jesus said what? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. The size of a church doesn't matter when it comes to worship and comes to our coming before the Lord. But our fellowship has remained. Uh, that is one of the blessings of our church, and you see it every time our doors are open and every time people come in, Sunday morning and Sunday night or Wednesday night. Uh, we just have good fellowship together. And I think somebody that comes to our church and becomes part of us and attends with us, uh, they can participate in that if they have a heart to do it. 
because we have a heart to do it, to have fellowship with, with each other. Our stability as a church has increased financially, of course, as we continue to give. And we, our, our building fund went beyond $200,000 this year for a small church. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. And our general fund also is very healthy. But we've also increased in our heritage. That is what we are as a church, what people know of us. Uh, we've, we had our seventh uh, annual Bible conference this year by uh, uh, a seminary professor uh, from a school who knows all about us and the people there know all about us and, uh, and they love us and appreciate us that. So our heritage in the sense of the purpose for why we're here, the convictions that we have that we are passing on uh, to the next generation and the worship that we do in this place I think is even an example uh, to believers uh, because our worship is sincere and true before the Lord. And I say that our future is positive. Our future is positive because we have a good foundation. Uh, when you have a good foundation to something, then you can build upon that. Uh, we have committed people. I mean, uh, look at us. Here, here we are on a Sunday night, a beautiful Sunday night when... Uh, you know, football playoffs are going on today and, and there's beautiful weather out there and we're here uh, serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord tonight. And our future is positive because we're a biblical church, because this is what a New Testament church looks like. This is what people do in church. This is uh, who we are as believers in this world. Now we have needs uh, and our needs uh, may be obvious, they may not be. Uh, we need future leadership. Uh, I, I tried to convince myself that I was not getting older, but I guess I am. You know, I, this year I'll go by that 70 mark, so I'm up to that three score and 10 that, that uh, Moses talked about. But beyond my years and beyond your years, uh, we, need, we will need future leadership in our church, won't we? We will have to see a change of ownership in our church and that is our generation mine and most of yours uh, we've been the I say owner in a good sense that is we've put our hands to the plow we've done these things we've served in the offices we've taken the leadership we've built what we had to build with our hands there's another generation coming behind us and they're going to have to take ownership uh, when we can't do that anymore, and at a time when they can, and we're going to have to let them do that. Also, we have a need to spread a wider net. We always have a need to reach out more than we're reaching out, to, to uh, do more in the sense of letting people know who we are and what we have here, and of course, preaching the gospel. And so I say the state of our, our church is good, it is strong, uh, as I, I told you this morning, I've always thought it's interesting that, that uh, you know, you, we may look at ourselves as a small church if our attendance is 50 to 75, but the average size of the church in the United States of America is under 70 people. That's the average size of the church. So uh, we're pretty average. Well, fine. To, to me, it doesn't matter uh, as long as we're doing what we should be doing. 
uh, and letting God direct us. And so we're a New Testament church. We should be glad in it. I want to show you these things, these six things in Acts chapter 2 in this familiar passage that also define us. And I think we are these things, but I think that we need to remind ourselves of these and be sure that we keep these things always uh, before us. I preached a similar message this morning uh, on the gospel from Philippians chapter 1, and here we're looking at Acts chapter 2. So notice these words, you have them in your, in your bulletin if you want to follow with me. First of all, I call it addition, and I put A behind it because the last point, point 6, is also addition, and that it will be B. Well, A is, in verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. But at the end, in verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The A and the B that I want us to notice is there's a human side to it, which is seen more in verse 41, and then there's a divine side to it seen more in the last verse in verse 47. So here's more of the human side, the people's side. They that gladly received his word. We have always believed as a Baptist church that uh, we have a regenerate church membership. Before you're added to the believers, you must have received his word. Now, in my margin of my Bible right beside this, I have uh, words from the book of Acts that I've added to this because it's interesting that the book of Acts describes our salvation with a number of different words. In one place, uh, we are people who have repented. In a, another place, as here, we have people who receive the word. We are people who have believed. We have been saved. We've been converted, 319. We've heard the word, 322. We've been turning to the word, 326. We've been obedient, chapter 6, verse 7. We are followers, chapter 13. We have attended to these things. All of these are different words that even the book of Acts uses to describe the fact that we got saved. And we are, we are a saved people. That's what the local church is. Now, you know that there's a universal church, and that is everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is part of that body of Christ, but only if they're saved, right? I mean, no one's a part of the body of Christ that hasn't come to Christ as Savior. And so uh, salvation is a requirement for a local church. And then secondly is that they were baptized. And, of course, we're a Baptist church, and we baptize people. You know what's unique about our name Baptist and one of the things I like about it? Our name, Baptist, describes our doctrine, whereas almost every other denominational name describes polity. I mean, our name describes doctrine in that we believe, and Baptists throughout history have always believed, that a person has to be old enough to accept the gospel, and we don't baptize them until they're an active believer. Now, that could be at five years old. It could be at 50 years old. So we call it adult salvation. In other words, our name describes the fact that we believe in the gospel and the testimony to that gospel. Now, it's interesting that most other denominational names don't describe their doctrine but describe what they do in church. 
Presbyterians are led by elders. Episcopalians are led by bishops. Catholic is a universal church. Even the Methodists have methods that they use in their church. So I like our name. Uh, when they, they, they gladly received the word, were baptized because they were adult believers who received uh, the gospel. And then they were added to the church. And so a uh, requirement for church membership at Faith Baptist Church and any other church like ours is salvation, baptism, and then also agreement. And that is they were added unto them, there are, to their belief, to their testimony, this doctrine of the apostles that this early church uh, was following. So if somebody says, well, I'm, I'm a believer, I've even been baptized, but I don't believe what you believe about a, B, C, and D that you have in your doctrinal statement, we would have to say, well, then you need to find a church where you do believe those things. Uh, our, our doctrinal statement is, is not very specific, uh, and it's not very broad. I mean, it, it tells the basics that we ought to believe in a church together. And so here's addition A, and that is, they that gladly received his word they were baptized, and then they were added. Three logical steps that we have all gone through and everybody else goes through when they join a church like ours. Secondly, then, there is responsibility. Notice I have responsibility A here because verse 42 describes a number of things that we do. And then also, verse 46 is responsibility B because it describes a few more things that we do. And so here in verse 42, they then, who, who is the they? Well, back up in verse 41, they that gladly received his word. They were added to them. So they, those same people, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Four great things. First of all, the apostles' doctrine. Now, by the way, when we say that, let me direct your eyes down to the second part of verse 43. Because after fear came upon every soul, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. It was a great thing to have apostles in the church. We don't have them today. But you know why, you know why this specific church here at, at Jerusalem grew to the size that it grew? was number one, because they experienced the day of Pentecost, which no other church has ever experienced. Number two, they had 12 live apostles in their church, which no other church had after that. And uh, they were the only church <laughs> that existed on the planet, which no other church has been since then. So no church has been like the Jerusalem church. But to have these apostles meant at this time, remember that they didn't have a New Testament yet. And you and I have the writings of the apostles. We have the inspired works of the apostles. But they had the apostles. And so they had them, they could directly go to them and say, what do you think about this? What, what do we believe here? And these apostles who had this kind of communication with the Lord could tell them. And they could work signs and miracles around the city, uh, which no other church was able to do. And so no wonder this Jerusalem church was what it was. So they had the apostles' doctrine, and, and I'm saying, by the way, you and I must also have the apostles' doctrine if we want to be a biblical church. We can't invent our doctrine. 
We can't come up with new things. We can't have some other holy book that we call holy besides the Bible. This is God's Word. This is the inspired apostolic doctrine, if you will. By the way, there's a new apostolic reformation movement that began in Kansas City, Missouri in the year 2000 where people believe that they are apostles today in the church. This is false doctrine and has always been around one way or the other. Secondly, as fellowship here, that's our responsibility. I, I talked about that koinonia this morning. It is your responsibility to fellowship with other believers. Do you know that? It's, it's not their responsibility to fellowship with you. It's your responsibility to fellowship with them. I hope you can see the difference in what I'm saying. You take the initiative. You do what God asks you to do. You be the fellowshipper. And that way, everybody fellowships with one another. And then there is the breaking of bread. And almost all commentators uh, understand this to be the Lord's Supper itself. And I think they're right about that. Uh, and so we find here in, in, in this verse uh, breaking of bread, but we're going to see it again in verse 46, breaking bread from house to house. Well, this is the Lord's Supper, and, and, and the unique thing about it, it seems, at this early time is they took the Lord's Supper every time they met. Now, isn't that interesting? And it was very important uh, to be there when they took the Lord's Supper, which meant it's very important for them to be there every time. Now, it's not then a directive that every church after that must take the Lord's Supper every time they meet. As a matter of fact, in chapter 20 at verse 6 in the church at Troas, they took the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. So they didn't take the Lord's Supper every day or every time they came together, but they took it every Sunday. And the Lord himself said what? As often as you do it. So the fact is uh, no two churches have to take it exactly the same. But I think that there probably is a, a time where you can take it too much and a time that you can take it too little. Uh, you can imagine us trying to do the Lord's Supper every time we meet together. Not that that would be bad if a church wanted to do that. It would be up to the church to do it. I grew up in a church that only took it once a year, and I, thought, I think that's not nearly enough. Uh, it, it was kind of some kind of a special night that they did, sometimes even on, on uh, New Year's Eve, late at night, and uh, I didn't think that was enough. I like what we do. Many churches, very common to do it once a month. I think that's a great way. We do it four times a year. Uh, I think that's a great way. Uh, we do it in a way that it means a lot to us. And we can say to ourselves, when the Lord's Supper is served, I'm going to be there. Because that's what this church did. That's what the New Testament churches and the believers in the book of Acts did. So there's the breaking of bread and then, of course, the prayer. It's probably too bad that in every church I've ever been in all my life that the least attended service is what? <laughs> prayer meeting. Too bad, really, because it's always been the heart and soul of a church. Well, let me read you a short paragraph that Donald Gray Barnhouse said about this particular verse, verse 42. He said, keep those four factors alive in any church group and you have the makings of a healthy church. 
Bible doctrine, one-to-one fellowship, the close intimacy with Jesus Christ suggested by the Lord's Supper, and breathing the breath of heaven in regular prayer. These are the marks of a healthy church. Depart from any of these characteristics, and you have an anemic, sick church such as we have too much of today. These are the things that a church needs. This is what we ought to be. So we have addition, we have responsibility. And then verse 43, we have fear. Fear came upon every soul. Now I've already spoken about signs and wonders done by the apostles, but here we have fearing the Lord. We should worship the Lord uh, with reverence and godly fear. Turn with me to a few verses in the book of Acts and just notice chapter 5 and verse 5. Chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Chapter 5, verse 11 says, Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Chapter 9, verse 31, after after Paul's conversion and, and the believers are in Damascus, it says in verse 31, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. And one more would be chapter 19 and verse 17. Here in in Ephesus, when Paul has come back to Ephesus and a revival takes place, and, and the, uh, they, were, they were casting out demons and other works by the Apostle Paul. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now, you're right next to the book of Romans. Let me show you two things in the book of Romans, one in chapter 3, one in chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, Verse 20 says, Nay, but, O man of God, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And that's not the verse that I wanted to read to you. So we'll skip that one, but uh, Romans does say that. But look at chapter 3 and verse 18. I think I really have the right verse there. In describing the lost world, what does this short verse say in 3.18? There is no fear of God before their eyes. What a shame it would be for the church of Jesus Christ to have no fear of God before their eyes. Now, the fear of God is an interesting topic, and and I hope you mark uh, verses throughout your Bible that talk about the fear of God. There are many, many of them. Ecclesiastes 12, you know, Solomon ends it by saying, what is the whole duty of man? Fear God, keep his commandments. Live before God the way that you should and do what God asks you to do. You want to know what life is all about as a believer? Fear God, keep his commandments. What did we sing tonight? Trust and obey. Trust in in God as you fear him and obey what he says. Psalm 2 Uh, says to the world, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. And when you rejoice, 
understand who you're rejoicing before. Now, the fear of the Lord can cover a wide spectrum, if you will. If you picture it as a, as a pendulum swinging from one side to the other, you can come to the side where we ought to be afraid of God. There's no, there's no reason why we shouldn't know that as believers. God can take your life in an instant, you know. Uh, God, God could take you home to heaven tonight if, if he so chooses. God could destroy this. God, God could return and begin his tribulation at any moment. He flooded the world once when he was angry. It's not wrong to be afraid of the almighty God. Now, on the other hand, uh, if the pendulum goes to the other side, there is the fear of God in, in the sense of closeness and oneness and, and love to him and almost too far if you swung that pendulum too far there's no you're not afraid of God in any way well we do have a salvation that has uh, uh, forgiven us of our sins right so that we don't have to fear judgment we don't have to fear hell we don't have to fear the wrath of God and so that pendulum can go from one to the other but you know, a good place for a church is to have that pendulum hanging straight down. We ought to know our salvation, our justification, that we don't fear the wrath of God. And on the other hand, we ought to live before a holy God uh, that can do what he wants with us. I think that the church in the year 2020, that that pendulum has swung way too far to the side of no fear of God at all. I don't know if it's hit the, the, the farthest point or not, but that pendulum is way over there to where there's not much fear of God in the contemporary services of the church in 2020. It's more, look at me, look what I can do, and God, you do what I tell you to do. That's pretty much where it is today. And so that pendulum for the fear of God needs to be right there. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. And that's what they did in this first church. Then, fourthly, I use the word dependency to describe verses 44 and 45. We need to go back to Acts chapter 2. All that believed were together. And, of course, you can't have a church unless you come together. All that believed were together and had all things common. Now, common is the root word for fellowship. Again, you know, koina is common and koinonia is fellowship. So they had all things common, but look what they did. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. You know, in many ways, we're dependent on one another. Can, can I remind you, and, and if you can turn there to the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and remind you of those great words in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 22. You'll remember them when I read them to you. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse uh, 22, says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us, notice, consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We're dependent on one another. I tried to emphasize this morning from Philippians chapter 1, that is what you do in church. That is why you come here. Come here and exhort one another. Come here and, and, and shake hands with one another and, and ask about one another and learn how to pray for one another. That's our responsibility. Now, back to these verses. Uh, there's a few things that we ought to say about verses 44 and 45. Number one, it's not a communism or a socialism that's being advocated here. In other words, uh, we don't read these verses and then say, well, you know, we ought to have a communist or socialistic uh, society and church where uh, uh, to be a member of this church, uh, everybody has to liquidate all your assets, sell your land and your houses, and we'll pool the money, and then we'll hand it out to everybody so that everybody has the same. There's some people who think that a country can actually live that way, though history has always proved that it cannot. But it's not advocating that, or we would see it throughout the New Testament. We happen to see it here in, in Jerusalem at this first church because of the need they had. By the way, part of it was that when you became a believer, you became a Christian at that time, you were cut off from society in Jerusalem. You, they had what we might call a social security type thing. I mean, you were part of the you were part of the community, but when you believed, you were cut off. You were cast out of the synagogue, as it's called in the New Testament. You received nothing, and so even to become a believer uh, meant you gave up a lot of what would have been coming to you. And not only that, but it was a time of famine. We know. And throughout the book of Acts, we read how the other churches took up offerings to give to the people in Jerusalem because they were suffering from the famine. And so they had a way to take care of needy members. That's the bottom line. It's not a particular command, but it's a description of what they did. In their case, they had to do a drastic thing, and so they all did it. Now, let me remind you, that in the case of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira had certain choices. If you say, I'm going to sell a piece of land, then I am agreeing that whatever the price is, that's what I will give the church. That was, all, that was the commitment. And so those who had land sold it and gave that to the church. What did Ananias and Sapphira do? They made that commitment. They didn't have to make that commitment. But they made it, and when the land sold, they only gave part of it to the Lord and kept back part to themselves. They should have learned to fear God. As a matter of fact, it's later in that chapter where it says, fear came upon all the church. Uh-oh, we better be careful here. And so that happened. Now, the dependency that we have for one another simply means we care for one another. And, and we would do what we could do if one of our members was suffering and needed help. You see that in the case of Ananias and Sapphira in that chapter where, again, they're selling land and giving their money to help the needy families in the church. You see it in chapter 6 where the deacons are said to serve tables. You know that old expression, serving tables. It's exact same Greek expression of the money changers in the temple. 
<laughs> meaning they handled the money. And what was happening with the deacons is they had a benevolent fund, basically. So when they sold their possessions of good and they, and they stored them in the church, the deacons then used that benevolent fund to help those families and parted it to all men as every man had need, as is expressed here. And even when we get later, years later to 1 Timothy, which would be in, in probably the 60s A.D., we find Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5 instructing Timothy how to take care of the widows indeed. Remember? Uh, those that, that have served the Lord, who are more than 60 years old, who are alone in this world. Uh, church, if they don't have family to take care of them, do something for them. And so what I'm saying is we see this dependency on one another all throughout the New Testament. And it just simply means we love one another. And when we see somebody have a need, we'll do what we can to take care of them. So that dependency is in verse 44 and 45. Then in verse 46, we have the second responsibility or the second list, actually, of responsibilities. Then they continuing daily. Here's an interesting note. I, I checked this. You had back in, in verse 42... They continued steadfastly. It's exact same Greek wording, but the translators like to say it differently. They, they like to do this. And so they continued steadfastly in verse 42. They continued daily in verse 46, but in the Greek, it's exactly the same expression. But doing something daily is doing it steadfastly, isn't it? I mean, you know, and doing it steadfastly is doing it daily. Uh, so we, we come away with the, same, uh, with the same meaning. And so notice the responsibilities that they took upon themselves, again, constantly or daily. They did it with one accord. You know, a, a church ought to uh, do things with one accord. He's not talking about a Honda there. He's talking about, he's talking about an attitude that we have. We're in one accord. Uh, that's why I often say I, I love our American-style churches where we fellowship and create that commonality, that one accord that we have with one another. I like to be in churches sometime. The English churches are this way where you go in and you're very quiet. You don't say anything till the, church, till the service starts. And when it's done, you don't say anything until you get outside the doors. And, you know, there's a certain reverence about that that I think is, is even refreshing at times because American churches can get too uh, nonchalant. But I like the way we do it. I like to visit with people. I like to hear the visiting going on. I like to see the fellowshipping taking place. And I think that being in one accord is part of that. And not only that, but in verse 46, uh, they were in one accord in the temple or in a meeting place. They had to meet where they could meet. You know, if you've got 5,000 people coming to church <laughs> you, and you don't have a church building, what are you going to do? So they would meet in the temple porch, in Solomon's porch. They would meet in, in places where they could gather together in a, as a public gathering. That's a lot of people to get together. And then it says also breaking bread from house to house. Literally breaking bread in the house. House to house is kind of a translation of it. So it, it doesn't mean that they were we're taking the Lord's Supper to every house, but it means where they met in the house of worship, they were breaking bread. 
And as we've already said, probably every time they came together, they were breaking bread in the house where they met. Okay? And then the last thing, of course, is the joy that came with it. Gladness and singleness of heart. What a blessing it is to go home from church with gladness and the singleness of heart. Uh, to, to say, I've been refreshed. I've been in the Lord's house, and it's been good. And so lastly, we come to verse 47, and this is the second uh, aspect of addition. Remember I said first in verse 41, there's kind of the human part of it. And here in verse 47, there's the divine part. Well, they were praising God. They had favor with all the people. And you know what? You can praise God and still have favor with people. Sometimes what we believe is a stumbling block to people, but that doesn't mean we go out and try to make enemies. Uh, when you love someone enough to give them the truth and, and, and to live before them in a way of testimony, there may be some people who say, don't push your religion upon me, but generally people say, that's a good person. They're doing a good thing. And we can have favor with people and still be true to our faith. And they were, in this, in this case, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, there's some expressions of that throughout this book. Chapter 5, verse 14 again. And believers were the more added to the Lord. And so to come to Christ by faith is to be added to the Lord. And in chapter 11, verse 24, there's a very similar statement. Uh, he was a good man, speaking of Barnabas, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people were added unto the Lord. Now, we have a responsibility to evangelize. We have a responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature. We have a responsibility to go into all the world. But if the Lord doesn't draw people by his spirit, then they're not going to get saved. You can't do it. You can't make them get converted. So the Holy Spirit has to go with you, and it's the Holy Spirit that is going to be drawing that person, and the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting that person of sin. You know, you, could, you can explain the gospel to somebody until you're blue in the face, but if the Lord isn't convicting, uh, then conversion is not going to take place. That's where what they call easy believism we have to be cautious about, and that is uh, you can't then make a person think that they got saved when there was no conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's to put a person in a, in a terrible place to think that they were saved because they said a few words or something like that. The Lord has to draw and has to convict, and then, of course, the Lord has to regenerate. It's not you that saves them. Uh, he saves them. He regenerates them. You, you and I are tools, or as they say, we are the means by which God does his evangelism. He doesn't do it without us. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? And it, and it's, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save men that believe. And so he's going to use us to do this job, and we ought to be glad that we're part of it. And so let me paraphrase what Barnhouse said again. If we depart from any of these characteristics, we have an anemic, sick church such as we see so much of today. Let us not be that way. Faith Baptist Church, in the year 2020, let's be this type of church. 
Let's understand, we may not be 5,000 plus as the church at Jerusalem was, and I doubt if there's many churches at all, true believers, more than 5,000 people in a congregation, but we are here. And we are true believers, and we are doing what God wants us to do, and we're doing it in a way God wants us to do. We are pleasing before Him. We're doing what, what He wants us. That's, that's a great joy, and we ought to be like these people were uh, here at the end, and, and that is doing it with gladness and singleness of heart. May we do that. All right, let's stand and, and pray together as we think about these things. Let's stand and pray. Father, now we've read these familiar words again and again, and we know in our head what happened then. We know that this was the result of that great day of Pentecost and these wonderful men called apostles and the power of God in their signs and wonders that they did. And Father, we thank you for the local church of Jesus Christ. We thank you that wherever people of God have gone in this world, there have been churches. There have been meetings, gatherings together, baptisms, and, and the breaking of bread together. And so, Father, we thank you that here uh, in Smithville, Missouri, on the other side of the world from Jerusalem, we meet together. We do it with gladness and singleness of heart. We have fellowship with one another. We preach the gospel, baptize, and break bread together. And we do it uh, with joyfulness in our heart. So, Father, we thank you for that. Bless Faith Baptist Church, bless us in this new year. May it start in each and every one of us in our heart, and may it grow throughout our church and even into this community. So we thank you for these things. We ask, Father, that you would bear them uh, heavily upon our heart, that we might be pleasing to you, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song.